0: Well, good. Amen. Well, wasn't that a great time of worship? I hope that you enjoyed that. Love y'all. Glad y'all are here. And glad those who are not here today are watching as well. As we take our Bibles, we're going to turn to Proverbs chapter one. This is a really, I believe, a message, I think, of great importance, not just for the church, but for you and for me as well. Uh, We've been in a series of messages on thriving because we want to thrive and not just survive in 2021 but there's a lot of there's a lot of promise to 2021 there really is but there's also some great challenges as well and they're going to be there and we don't exactly know what they're going to be we just need to be prepared for them but we know that because of what happened during our recession many years ago and then what has happened in 2020 to the economy One of the things in question, one of the things that may be giving you anxiety today is the economy, is the finances, is money. And as we look at this, we understand that we don't know what's going to be happening uh, in the world. And yet, it's very, very vital that we come to a place in our life where we have the right attitude and take the right actions with the money, Now, you say, well, you know, I come to church. The last thing I want to hear at church is a sermon on money. Did you know, really, the the hardest message to hear? Anybody care to participate? Really, folks, if you're on TV today, there are people here. I promise you. Now, um, what do you think it is? Well, somebody says money. Somebody else may say, I don't know, witnessing. Somebody else may say lordship of Christ. It really depends, I think, on what your competition with God really is. In other words, if you really have a, a difficult time with turning your life over to the Lord and really just uh, following Jesus Christ, then anything on the Lordship of Christ is really going to bother you. And then if you have trouble with money and you're saying to yourself, well, I just, I just want to come to church, I don't want to do anything, don't want to give anything, and you're struggling with that because you feel like you don't have enough already and you feel like there's a struggle there financially, then hearing a message on money is going to, to bother you. And so we need to realize going into this message that Jesus, everything Jesus spoke, about 15% of everything that Jesus spoke was about money. Now, why would that be? Because it really is one of the biggest competing gods or idols in our life. It has power over us. Now, in this message, what I, I want to cover a lot of ground. And we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs, of course, is nothing that you can really go through verse by verse because every verse is kind of a different subject. It's wisdom literature. And so we're going to be looking at this in different passages in the book of Proverbs. But I really want to look at this, and it's, it's going to it be impact. I packed in a lot of stuff to this message because we, first of all, have to, I think, before we deal with money, we've got to find out the reason why. Why should we deal with this? I mean, what kind of power does it have over our life? What, what's its potential for destruction in our life? And then I want us to see a couple of principles that we miss in, maybe you've missed, in concerning money and how to handle it. And finally, you really need to know the how. Uh, what do you do about it? And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, because the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6:10, it says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, it doesn't mean all evil, just all kinds of evil in the original Greek language. So I want us to look at the book of Proverbs. I want us to start in chapter 10 and read verses 15 and 16. And we're going to be look, first of all, at the power that money has over us. A rich man's wealth is a strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. As we're looking at this passage, I, and I do have a lot of subpoints in each one of these points, like I said, it's packed full of uh, information, but it has the power to really magnify our passions in life. We've gone through a series of messages on Thrive, and the first thing we talk about is what is your passion in life? What really uh, turns your crank in life? What do you really focus on in life? And one of the things that Uh, we do is we focus in on the money in our life. After all, it's difficult to deal with money. It's just difficult because we need it. We need it to sustain life. In our society, you've got to have money to pay your, your bills. You've got to have money to buy gas. You've got to have money to eat. You just have to have money as a currency to get stuff that you need in life. And so it's difficult to manage. It's difficult to manage how much you want it. Difficult to manage how much you love it. Difficult to manage how you use it and whether you want to hold on to it or give it away. Very difficult. It's sort of like uh, addictions. People say, well, you know, Pastor, maybe I've heard this sermon on this particular thing, but what about overeating? Nobody ever preaches about overeating. Well, there's a good reason why, you know, we don't preach about overeating, right? You know, it's difficult. Now, you say, if I can just take an example here. Somebody says, well, you know, you preach against uh, cigarettes. I've never done that, really, but we'll just say a pastor would do that. Well, that's cigarettes is something you don't need. You don't have to have it. You just start doing it. Food, on the other hand, is something you've got to have. And so you have to manage it. Money is like that. It can become an addiction in your life. It, become, it can be something disastrous in your life. You have to learn to manage those things because it has the power over you. And usually it really dictates sometimes, well, not usually, but many times it really dictates uh, what we really are in our life. The more money you get, the more you're revealing who you really are in life. Now here's what, again, Proverbs 10, 16 says, it says the wage of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked is said. Interesting verse, striking statement, really. In the book of Proverbs, according to Bruce Walkey, uh, we will find that he says at least righteous means that there's a person who builds up others at the expense of himself. On the other hand, the wicked Proverbs prevent, uh, presents the wicked as being someone who builds up himself at the expense of others. So when we're referring to money here and uh, these verses are referring to money. The righteous person is the one who sacrifices money for himself to give to others, while the wicked would take advantage of other people, advantage in order to have financial gain himself. And, and we look at this, and we realize as we look at Proverbs and as we look at the rest of the Bible, money kind of reveals our focus. It reveals our, what we said a couple of weeks ago, our one thing, maybe our Lord. You know, what is it? The more you get, the more it's gonna reveal what you really worship, what, you, what is really first place in your life. But then, power has the, the power, money has the power to dismantle, if I can use that term, because it's gradual, dismantle your character. Proverbs 11, 1, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, in the Old Testament, They would bring grain, and even in the New Testament times, they would bring grain to the marketplace, they would weigh it. And the scales would weigh a certain amount of wheat, and you would get paid that much money. An unbalanced scale in the Old Testament was when the man had, the the owner had something rigged up to where it would not really uh, give you the full weight of the grain. Now, it could be just a little bit, because as he paid people for their grain, one right after another all day long. It would just take a little bit for him to make a small fortune. And so he says it's like an unjust scale. It's an abomination. He says cheating people, uh, having money so much in your life that you're willing to take advantage of other people is an abomination. It's sort of like the same word used in the Old Testament where God's attitude toward sexual immorality. I mean, it's that much of a deal to God. I remember... Uh, when I was a teenager working in a grocery store, and um, I was checking out some people. You know, you, know what, you know what I'm saying, checking, I'm not talking about looking at people, I'm talking about checking out with groceries. Now back then, I'm, I'm really telling on myself here, you didn't scan things. I know that you don't believe that, but there was a day where you didn't scan things in, in the grocery store. You had this typewriter looking thing, and you had to look at the price and type it in every time, all the way down. So you really had to concentrate. Well, I was about to take the money. I took the money from this guy, this other guy at my workplace, asked me a question. And so we were talking about it just for a second, and I turned over to pay attention to the customer, which you always should do. And I gave him back his change. And I, I hesitated and I said, Did I give you back the right change? And he handed me back, he said, No. And he handed me back ten dollars. He said, But it was worth a try. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, there's ten bucks. I wanted to look at that guy, and he was older than me, but I said, this is the price of your integrity. This is how much it costs to buy your character. Dear friends, it can mold our character. It can take us away from God. And somebody says, well, just educate everybody. You know a lot of criminals and a lot of people who have not been caught because they've got great lawyers, even in the corporate world, as they take advantage and steal from people. It's not a matter of how much you have. It's a matter of your heart and what you worship. But power, here's one. Money has the power to be, make you arrogant. And a lot of people haven't even thought about that before. But listen to what Proverbs says in verse 30, or chapter 30. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with a food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny. And you say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. Listen, the Bible says humility, it brings about grace. Pride brings about a fall. It's been said, and I just used this quote from someone else, to see a man humbled under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. Why is that? Because when people have money, they think they're an expert on everything. Now, think about it for just a moment. People with very high education often do this as well. They think, oh, you know, I'm a professor of economics, therefore I know things about math and engineering, and I know something about God, and I know something about this and that. But nothing like money. Money gives you such power. Money makes you feel so powerful and so invincible that you think, hey, I not only know about the stock market, but I know how to build a house as well. I not only know how to build uh, big skyscrapers, but I can tell you all about religion as well. They just feel, there's an arrogance there. They feel like they're an expert on everything and that's why so many of them, so many rich people fall to ruin in their life. But then it has the power, listen, to reveal your object of worship. The number one thing in your life. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a wall in his imagination. He imagines himself when he has enough money And he thinks to himself, I am walled in, walled in from the rest of the world. I'm protected. I'm in a strong city. No one can get to me. Listen, the Bible says God is our refuge, a place of safety, a place of dependency, our place of trust. Now, money has come in and replaced that. And you may be saying here, hey, you know, you're not talking to me because I'm not rich. Listen, you could be poor, middle class, very wealthy, everything in between, and have the same attitude that we're talking about we're talking and speaking about money in this passage money becomes like our fortified city money says to you money says to you hey if you have enough of me you don't have anything to worry about if you have enough for me everybody's going to look at you with great uh, look upon a great success have you ever heard the question i wonder how much he's worth it determines our worth Money says, look, if you'll come, you'll never have to, you know, I'm gonna be your security. You're gonna be powerful. If you have enough of me, you're gonna be admired. You're gonna have a great self-esteem. And so we get brought into that. We get seduced by that. And it comes in and then we think to ourselves, why do I have need of the Lord? I have enough money for retirement. I have enough money to make my house payment. I have enough money and more to make maybe a couple of car payments. I have enough. I don't have to worry about those things. And worship of that and worry of losing that comes into play. That's why we had such a difficult time all across the nation during the recession. I know of people that turn their backs on God because... They felt like they were faithful enough to God, and God did not come through for them, and they were affected by the recession as though that that some kind of wall ought to be around them because of the recession, and they left God. What were they saying? Hey, look, I was willing to worship God as long as I had security in how much money I had or my successfulness in my business, but not if it's going to cost me that. So they got, got upset with God. And so what are the principles we're kind of missing? Because, I mean, after all, the Bible says whatever we're first place in our life, we're going to obey. Remember what Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, obey me. And we went over last week that our joy comes from pursuing and capturing a relationship with our creator. And so obedience to God is not something that is an albatross upon us. It's not about... God just controlling our life and punishing us. Rather, it's an opportunity. When I'm in the path of blessing, when I'm where God wants me to be in the timing and I, that I should be there, when I'm obedient to God, God can bless me. If I'm off in a, somewhere else, out in the forest, a wilderness somewhere, disobedient to God, if he were to bless me at that point, he would be encouraging me to disobey him. All along the life of li- uh, lifeline, just like this isle, there are people sitting on the end of the pew. And if those people could represent the gifts of God, you're walking along that path, and there's a gift there waiting for you at every step. Somewhere God is providing your need. But if I'm over here in this aisle, I'll never get what's over here. I'll never get there. Obedience is a great thing to God, and we will depend, and we will follow, and we will obey that which is most important in our life. And so what are the principles? There's two, one of stewardship and one of sacrifice. Stewardship, what right? I mean, it answers the question. It's a good question. This is a good question. What right does God have, have to ask me to give anything? I mean, after all, I work for it. I went I, I went to college and I got my education or I, I didn't go to college. I went into business. I went and I, I did this. Hey, look, I'm the one that's working the farm. I'm the one that's working all the, putting the buildings together. I'm the one building the buildings. I'm the one, I, I'm the one taking tolls at the booth. I'm, I'm the one that's working in the hospital. I'm the one that's putting in 50 60 hours a week. God's not doing that much. Why should I give anything? Well, let me remind you that Deuteronomy will tell us that God, you shall, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. The Bible teaches us that we are not owners of anything, we're stewards. The Bible simply says this in many, many places. But here's one in Psalm 24:1. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it, everything belongs to God. We are stewards. Now, the Old Testament, a New Testament word is a steward. We don't use that word because it's an English, old English word kind of out of our vocabulary, but a steward was one who uh, was in charge of someone else's household or possessions. Now, the Bible says that (coughs) God, God owns everything, everything. And then he gives it to us as a steward, as a manager, to manage God's creation. All the way back in the book of Genesis, he put it this way. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And you have dominion, rulership, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Everything. And so the Bible says, look, God owns it. You say, well, I, I don't know if I really buy into that or not. Okay, let me ask you this. When you die, how much are you going to take with you? Think about that. Seriously. Ever seen a U-Haul uh, being pulled by a hearse? Been like the three preachers that were approached by this guy that was uh, planning his funeral in advance. He says, Look, I'm going to give you an envelope. Each one of you have $100,000, and I want you to put it in my casket because I'm not sure they're going to have money in heaven. Well, <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe those guys weren't sure he was going. I don't know. But anyway, and, and so the, the preacher said, the, Each one of the pastors said, Look, we're not going to do this. This is crazy. Said, you know, there, there is no money. You're not going to take anything with you. He says, no, I want to take it with me. This is the way I have to take it with me. And so at the funeral, um, they were supposed to come by before the funeral and kind of put it in the casket as he was um, before they closed it. And they each preached a part of the funeral. And they got down and they said, look, you know, what did you do about that money? And the first guy said, well, I just wanted to honor what the guy said. And so I put the envelope in there. And the other guy said, well, I feel better about it too because that's what I did. And the third guy said, of course I did. I wrote him a check and put it right in there, you know. (laughs) If he ever cashes it, then it'll prove everything I'm saying wrong, right? But you can't take it with you. So why does God give us uh, the money? And you say, well, look, if it all belongs to God anyway, he's going to take it all when I go to heaven, and I'm not going to really leave much. I mean, what do we do with money? We, We make it, we spend it, we save it, we wrap it up and move it and form possessions, and we leave it to somebody who doesn't really appreciate it. And so what happens? Dear friend, think about that question. Why should God entrust you with it? Think about it. Another part of our stewardship is our family. One day, your your children, if you're here today and still have children in the home, they're going to leave the home. They're going to go to different parts, maybe, of the country, different parts of the world. And you say, well, then, then why in the world did God give him give it to me he's going to take it away you know why why would he do that i've got time and talents and treasures or rather i've got talents i've got spiritual gifts and i'm going to have to give all those up one day and then god's going to give me true riches true gifts that i can have forever and forever so if i'm going to have to give them up why do i have to have this talent now well it's a trust god has entrusted you with that it's a tool for you to, that money at least, and talents, make a living for your family. Provide for your family, but also provide for the work of the ministry as well. Why? Well, it's a stewardship of God. Luke 16, 11 says, if then you have been a faith, you've been faithful with unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? If, if you're not gonna be faithful with what God has given you here on earth, and he's been, you've been supposedly a conduit of his grace, giving you not only what you need but an abundance of what you need, so you can give it away to someone else. Why should he, when you get to heaven, give you true riches? And true riches are those who last what lasts forever. So there's a principle here of stewardship. You don't own it. You say, "Well, I, I want to know where my money goes." You don't. You, it's not your money. It's not my money. It never has been. But there's also a principle here of sacrifice, because Jesus gave his example on the cross. On the cross, he bled, he died, he sacrificed for others, the righteous, that he could be a blessing to others. Now, all of us choose a treasure in life. You have a treasure right now, whether you realize it or not, it's, it's there. Now, what's it costing you? Name your treasure. He you said, well, it's cost me a lot of time. It's cost me a lot of effort. It's cost me maybe, maybe my family. What's it really costing you? Jesus is the only treasure that the, where the sacrifice has already been made. He died on the cross for you already. He gave it all for you. He, can be a tre- he will be the treasure in your life. It's a free gift to you. So with those two principles in mind, we have to ask ourselves the question, then how? What does the Bible say about what we should give, when we should give it, where should we give it? What are the, what are the details? Real quickly, how much should you give? I I turn to Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It's not the only verse in the Bible. I think last year I preached through um, 1 Corinthians, some passages there. Another year, maybe next year, I think, uh, maybe 2 Corinthians. It's all through the Bible. But Malachi 3.10 really gives us everything that we need to know. It says, bring the tithe into the storehouse. So how much should we give a tithe? Now, you know, it's amazing to me that some places in the Bible, it never gives a place where... Here's how much of the Bible I'm supposed to read. And so I'm really wondering, you know, I guess until I'm kind of satisfied, I don't know. How, how many times should I share my faith in a week? I don't know. Doesn't say. But it does give us a guideline for here. It does give us a place where we can do this and obey God. Now, in the Old Testament, the tithe, of course, was something that you gave to avoid a curse. We don't have to worry about that anymore because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all those curses. And, but the Old Testament says this, bring the tithe, that is 10%, it means a 10th portion, 10% of your income to the Lord that there may be food in my house. There's a reason for it. We give it, and the Bible all through the New Testament says so we can be a blessing to you. But the Old Testament gives us, as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 16, gives us the purpose of giving, and that is to further the ministry of God that some other people would know Jesus Christ the way you know him. He says, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. Began with Abraham, tithing began with Abraham, 10%. Not five, a 5% tithe is not a tithe. 15% tithe is a tithe, plus 5% of your income is an offering. The tithe means a tenth portion. Began with Abraham, it was incorporated into the law. Jesus said this: But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe. Mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done, meaning tithing, without neglecting the others, meaning justice and the love of God. Why 10%? Why? You know, my, uh, my grandfather, mother's side was a sharecropper. Didn't own the land, but he worked the land. And at the end of the crop season, they would split. He and the owner of the land would split the profits. That's a sharecropper. So you think to yourself, well, I'm going to be a, I'm kind of a sharecropper, maybe, with God. He owns everything. He's given it to me as a trust. I'm to work it. So it, it seems reasonable. He'd take half. I'd take half. And God says, no, you don't have to do that. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a tenth portion. See, the number, there's numerology in the Bible. And the number three, for example, is the number for God. The number six is the number for man. Seven's the perfect number. But 10 is the number of completeness. So every time I give 10% of my income or more, I'm saying, God, I acknowledge that you own everything, and I'm grateful for it. But God also knows, all the way back in the Old Testament, that that would be needed, not only to have the church flourish in preaching the gospel, but to also meet social needs as well. But the problem is, most people don't tithe. George Washington was once quoted as saying, or at least supposedly quoted, as saying the worst thing that Virginia ever did was to repeal the the mandatory tithe in Virginia. That hurt all the poor. So there's only so much money that you can have. So what do we have? Well, we don't have, I'm not for a mandatory tithe, by the way, but we don't have that, and so what do we have? Well, we have 15% Social Security, for some people at least. We have taxes, we have this and that and, and the other things that we have to pay. But God says you bring this so the ministry of God can go on. Well, it says in the Bible, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God first in your life. Again, been tithing since I was in college. And every time I give, some of you on maybe rotate, you know, you just put it into the uh, system on realm or on website and you know you give every month automatically automatically comes out and i'm i'm all for that go ahead pray that you do it through your checking account because it does cost us a pretty good bet uh for the credit card or uh, but i still go in and do it every week myself or every two weeks because it reminds me how grateful i am for everything that god's given us but also recognize the fact I'm going to leave it all behind one day. It's his, and I'm to use it as a trust, as a tool, and really as a test in my life. Who is going to be Lord of my life? And so, how much do you give? The Bible says a good place to start is Old Testament, and that is tithing. Grace givings in the New Testament, that's always above the tithe. You say, well, no, no, grace means that I can give what I want. see, grace can go both ways. I want you to give me Grace. But maybe I don't want to give you any. Well, that's not true, but we think that way. You know, you ought to forgive me, you, but I'm not going to forgive you. You see, grace runs both ways. Grace giving is grace to everybody else. I'm going to give over and above the 10%, just the, the minimum requirement, and I'm going to pray about this, and I'm going to give more than that as grace to God, as a gift to him, but a gift to the world as well, to those around me. I want to be that, right, that righteous, not the wicked. That sacrifices myself in order to bless others. Well, where do you give? Good question. Some people say, well, you know, I, I tithe, but I give 2% over here and 2% over there. But the Bible says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So well, I believe in tithing, but not storehouse tithe. Well, it's in the same verse. I mean, how can you split that up? So yeah, again, you know, I, I want to go where my I, I want to know where my money goes. It's not yours. But I want to. You know, this missionary came to the church, and I want want to support them, and this missionary and this church planter came, and I'm giving 2% kind of... You know, if churches were to get wind of that, would they even invite somebody to come and and talk to you about missions? Every time, you know, their their mission, their, their giving's cut down. And you say, well, now, wait a minute. Um... You know, again, I want to know where my money goes, and I'm just not sure if I want to support, you know, the staff, for example. You don't like me? You don't have to answer that, please. (laughs) But the people at home are saying, yes, yes, yes. Okay, if, if there is no tithe, then chances are next week or at some point, there's going to be an unprepared pastor here. There's not going to be the music in fact there's not going to be anybody running the sound because we won't be able to pay them there won't be a building here because we can't make the payments on the building even if there were a building here we couldn't make the thirty thousand dollar a month uh, utility bill and therefore it's going to be kind of warm in here we can't pay anybody to regulate it on when it comes on and when it shuts down there won't be any greeters in the lobby because we can't pay anybody to organize that no no one in the nursery because we really can't in a nursery that size, no, no one can volunteer to do that 40 hours a week. So there's no one to organize that. There's no daycare during the week. We can't really afford to do that because there's no tithe. There's no one to clean the church, no one to cut the grass. It just, it just takes a lot. And we have this place, again, in order to disciple you, to you then go out in the world and be that advertisement, to be that advertisement to the world that Jesus Christ is real. How can we do that without the tithe? We, we don't have an endowment. No church. I don't know of any church that does. Maybe some do. We don't have an endowment. We don't have, you know, somebody says, well, the government's got plenty of money. Well, yeah, they do. You know why? They print it. We don't have any print, printing presses in the basement here. Thank God for that. But we don't have anything like that. We're dependent on what we can do and what you give. Now, last year, uh, we met expenditures, but we didn't meet the budget. A lot of it had to do with covid but we don't know who's in and, and who has dropped by the wayside. I hope no one, but we anticipate, as we've been contacting people that maybe that's true. hope not, pray for them. But someone has to step up as well in order to do what we need to do. So when, when should you give? I had this um, the, um, a couple come to me years came to me years ago. I said, "You know, we're just really struggling with this. At the end of the month, we're we trying to write out our tithe check. And not enough money's there. And I said this honor the Lord with your wealth, Proverbs 3, and with the first fruits of your produce. Give it first. You, as a step of faith, give it first and allow God to work with you on the rest of it. You see, when I, when I began to tithe, I, I was going to school and um, actually uh, working my way through. And blue-collar family, great family. My dad was home at four o'clock every day. It was great, and we had a good family life. But um, you know, it was paycheck to paycheck. No money there to buy a car, and certainly no money to uh, send me through school. So I was going to go to a private school in order to um, prepare for the ministry. And I began to be in sales. And I just thought to myself, I'm praying that God will give me sales. Praying and praying. And I've, God, I've never really invited you to be involved in my finances. How can I pray for all this? When I've not even invited you to be involved in my finances, at that point, God laid it on my heart. This is what you need to do. I started giving the first fruits, the first, first 10% out of every commission sales. And if you look at the fact that I was single at the time and inflation today, I made more money during those summers than I've ever made in my entire life. And I believe that it was God blessing my life because of that. When should you give? When? The very first thing. So lastly, as I close, why? Well, I don't have time to go through all this. I'm just going to review anyway. But it says this. First of all, for where your treasure is, there's where your heart is going to be also. The way you combat idolatry and worrying and stressing out over money and thinking you'll never have enough and, you know, You'll never have enough to go to school. You'll never have enough to buy the car. Never have enough to make the house. You worry about it less if you give it up as an idol. And the way you do that is to give part of it away. And so it's freedom from idolatry. It provides for ministry, as we've said before. But also, dear friends, it's a step of growth. Everything that God gives us is a trust. Everything that he gives us is a tool. But everything he gives us is a test. It says in Malachi, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If all I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I found that to be true. Now, others have to rearrange their budget in order to tithe. And let me share this with you. God's going to provide every bit of your need, everything that you should be spending money on. If you invite him to be involved in your finances, everything you should be spending money on, he will provide. But maybe there's some things you're spending money on that you don't need to spend that money. So you re- rearrange your budget. I, I had to do that. But yet, at the same time, God just opened up the windows. I, I, didn't, do, I didn't start tithing in order to get rich. But it was a conviction of my heart. I needed, if I wanted to pray and have effectual, uh, really effective prayers in my life over my finances. I need to be obedient. I need to show him that I loved him by being obedient to him. Not to get money, but the Bible does promise. If you give for the right reasons, the right motive, he said, I'm going to provide all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He even says a generous person will be prosperous, but one who gives others plenty of water will himself be given plenty. Proverbs eleven twenty five. I came to the place in my life, and I hope that you come in that, to this place as well whatever God's convicting you You of. You may be already a tither and a given above, but it's something else in your life. I had to come to the place in my life where I had to ask myself the question, is there a sovereign, almighty, all-powerful God who rules this universe that loves me? Does he exist? And if so, can I trust him? And a very young person, I thought to myself, I need to find that out now. Do I really believe that? Will he provide for me? Can I really trust him? I found him to be trustworthy. And I've been trusting him with my life. And Pam and I have been trusting him with our life. She was tithing before me, before we met. We've been trusting him with our lives ever since. So I challenge you to do the same. This morning, we end the service maybe just a little bit differently. We have a a card that we, um, every year for 27 years, we filled out a card, something like this. You can take it home, you can read it, or you can do something about it today. You can find this in your pew in front of you with an envelope for privacy. And it has a place here on your name and uh, your commitment to tithing. And we're going to look at that, um, begin tithing or giving 2%. I mean, income increasing at one time a month through October until you're at 10%. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. But next week, we're going to ask all the church, as a church family, to do this together. But you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'd like to be an inspiration to someone else. And so what I'd like to do, I'd like to fill it out this week, because I already know what I'm going to do. I already prayed about it. Or I'm going to go online, I'm going to download it on the QR code, or go online and... um, Get it off our website, and I'm going to fill this out. And because so, so me as your pastor, I can stand up here maybe with a stack of envelopes next, uh, a stack of cards next week, envelopes, uh, duplicates of yours, not with names on them. Stand up here and say all these people have already committed. You know, 79 of your leaders have already committed over 800, about 850 thousand dollars already. And so, you see, our church really. In every time we've ever researched it, those who regularly attend, over 50% have always been tithers, always, ever since about the fourth or fifth year I, I was here. And so this is something we believe in. And we believe because of that. That's one of the reasons why God has blessed our church with so many opportunities for ministry. And so I'm going to challenge you to do that. Others, you have a welcome card. You're visiting with us today. And already you're thinking, man, what did I get into today? you know, that kind of thing. But you're visiting with us. And um, so fill out the welcome card, either here or um, online. And we'd appreciate that and help us to get to know you. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've given us. And God, we pray for those who don't know the Lord because that's why we're here. We really are. And I think anyone who knows us knows exactly that. We're here for others. We We want to serve. We want to give to others. We want to serve others. And God, we thank you so much for providing for us. And we look forward to this difficult year ahead because we know there are going to be challenges there for us to grow in you. So God, I pray for those who have never been saved, that they would pray and ask God, call on you to ask God to save them even right now and indicate that on the card. And Lord, I pray for those that either right now or sometime this week, even before next Sunday, They'll come and say, this is what I believe God wants me to do for the coming year. And they would make that commitment and help us inspire others. And God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at CrossLifeChurch.com.